As interest rates in the US, UK and Europe approach a peak and economic growth shows further signs of faltering, the focus has firmly shifted to rate cuts. ING's James Knightley expects the Federal Reserve to start cutting from the spring of next year and says the bank may need to do more than markets currently expect. The European Central Bank and Bank of England could follow a little later, according to Carsten Brzezewski and James Smith, though rate cuts here may be less aggressive. As a result of the deeper Fed easing cycle, Chris Turner says the dollar could come under pressure, perhaps as soon as the fourth quarter of this year. I'm Rebecca Byrne, and in this week's Think Aloud, we're bringing you the highlights of our live quarterly central banking webinar, where we discuss the outlook for the global economy, monetary policy and financial markets. But we started with a poll of the audience. So we are asking our lovely audience here, when do you expect the first Fed rate cut? So your options are this year, the first half of 2024, second half of next year, 2025 or later. So we want to know what you think is going to be the first Fed rate cut. And it looks like 50% of you, so half, think the second half of next year. Well, James, we're going to get more into your view on that in just a second. But first, if we rewind to the start of this year, the consensus was pretty gloomy, wasn't it, about the US outlook. We had aggressive rate hikes, but the economy has defied those expectations and the data for the third quarter has been pretty strong. So why did the forecasting community, not pointing any fingers, but why did the community get it so wrong? Yeah, no, no, it's perfectly fair. I, you know, I, I am one of those that, that we did get it wrong. And why is that? I think there's a number of reasons. Well, firstly, you know, wh- why would we expecting a recessionary story or, or fears of a slowdown? And I think, you know, as, as James said earlier, you know, we had the most aggressive and rapid period for monetary policy tightening we've seen for 40 plus years. And then, of course, in March of this year, we had those banking stresses coming through as well. And this was really raising concerns about access to credit. So not only did you have the surging cost of borrowing, you also had a dramatic reduction in credit availability. And the combination of these two factors was thought, and especially in an environment where China has disappointed, Europe's disappointed as well, would see the US economy struggle as well. As you say, it's not happened. Now, why are the reasons for that? Well, one, I think, you know, we can look at the US housing market. It has been an interesting story. People were, economists in general, were expecting quite a big downturn, loss of price falls as well, because when mortgage rates triple, you do expect to see a big hit to demand. And we've seen that. But the, the drop in supply of homes for sale has been quite astonishing, really. And that has kept prices supported. So we've not had that correction that we thought might come in and really weigh on economic activity. Secondly, of course, we've had the significant stimulus from the US government. We've had the Inflation Reduction Act. We've had the CHIPS Act. And I think, to be fair, this has hit the ground more effectively, more quickly than a lot of economists were expecting. I think most people are thinking that this may not really be felt until 2024, 2025, but it has really come through this year. And we can see that in a lot of the activity numbers we've been seeing. But I think the key story for me is the resilience of the consumer sector. And when you look at that, why is that? Because wages are not really kept pace with the cost of living. So why is it that spending so strong? Well, basically, it seems so because unemployment is so low. This is giving households the confidence to keep spending and maintain their lifestyle. Now, how are they doing that? Well, they're running down savings and they're using their credit cards. So we've seen about $2.2 trillion of accumulated savings run up through the pandemic because people saw incomes rise through stimulus checks, et cetera, and reduced spending. 
Now, of that 2.2 trillion, we estimate about 1.3 trillion has already been spent. So that has been a big source of fuel for this strong performance in an environment where wages have not kept pace with the cost of living. The key question is, can this continue? Well, yes. Can it continue? Uh, Have you thrown in the towel on a recession now or are you expecting a downturn still to come? As you said, I mean, the third quarter is looking really strong. I mean, we're talking 3% plus annualised growth in the current quarter in an environment where the unemployment rate is just three and a bit, 3.8% or so. That's certainly not a recession. And I think, you know, even through the fourth quarter, we'll still have a legacy of that coming through to some extent. But for the first quarter, second quarter next year, I am increasingly concerned. Now, as I say, savings have been a big factor in this strength in consumer spending, but savings are finite. And as I said, we've burnt through 1.3 trillion of the 2.2 trillion. Now, my worry is that the people that have burnt through it are the lower income households and middle income households, and they've been pretty much exhausted. And that was something that the Federal Reserve's Beige Book alluded to a couple of weeks ago. It did say there were growing sense, or there's growing talk about excess savings built up through the pandemic being exhausted. Now, if that's the case, that's the big engine room of of, of consumer spending gone because wages are still not keeping pace with the cost of living and higher gasoline prices are just going to erode that spending power even more. And I guess at the same time, we are seeing credit cards having been hit or used quite a lot. And again, credit card restrictions are increasing coming in. I mean, credit card borrowing costs are higher since 1972 now. That is a very, very expensive way to fund spending. And I just do not see that continuing. And then the third point is, of course, student loan repayments are restarting. And that's another big potential hit to tens of millions of households in America that's going to erode their spending power. So it's been a great story this year. Can it continue? I I do seriously have my doubts. And what areas of stress are we looking at? Well, we're looking at credit card delinquencies. We're looking at auto loan delinquencies. And those are starting to rise quite meaningfully. And in an environment where Europe's arguably in recession, China's languishing as well, um, if you do get these impulses all moving in the same direction over the next sort of six to tw- six to nine months or so, I do still fear that this is more of a uh, downturn delayed rather than a recession averted story. Okay, now at our last event in June, one of the big topics of discussion was the banking crisis that was sort of happening in the US. But that story sort of seems to have gone off the radar a little bit. Is that something we should still be worrying about or can we signal the all clear on that at least? I'm still nervous. If you look at deposits, uh, deposit flight has, has stabilised. And uh, from that perspective, things are looking much, much better. But you then look at the usage of the Fed's support programmes, and it is still incredibly high. A lot of these banks are still effectively on life support. You know, If the Fed wasn't there to keep supporting them in terms of liquidity provisions, we'd be in a much tighter position, I fear. So I certainly don't think we can signal the all clear. And of course, we also look at the risks surrounding the banks. And of course, you look at these sort of fund manager surveys. What are your big concerns? What are your worries? And commercial real estate, you know, you see it in the press regularly as well when you look at office uh, occupancy and all that sort of stuff. And the worry here is that the small banks, which are the stressed banks in America, are the ones who hold most of this commercial real estate loans. 70% of commercial real estate loans are held by small banks. And Morgan Stanley put out this paper earlier this year saying $1.8 trillion of this stuff has to be refinanced. And of course, we're getting a drip, drip feed of of, uh, borrowers defaulting on their their commercial real estate mortgages. So uh, there is that concern that this could still come back uh, and be more of a story. So, yeah, I, I still remain a little bit nervous. And this is another concern for us that and it factors into our thinking is why the Fed may be a little bit more aggressive in rate cuts next year than the market is expecting. 
What about inflation, James? Because last week we had some data showing that headline inflation had been boosted by the surging gasoline prices. Even the core rate was a tiny bit more than economists had expected. So what are you looking for for the rest of the year? Yeah, uh, I think, you know, the, the, the rise in oil prices is going to be a big theme for the rest of this year. It is going to keep energy costs high. It's going to keep headline inflation higher than we thought perhaps just a few months ago. But um, the Fed is focused more on the core side, the ex-food, the ex-energy, stuff that they can actually, that monetary policy can actually do something about. Um, and in that regard, you know, we're looking at the housing component. That's 40% plus of core inflation. The rent story is really going to help slow that. So I think that big story is going to intensify as we move through this year and into early next year. We're also looking at corporate pricing power and surveys of corporate pricing power suggest that US businesses are becoming increasingly reluctant to push prices higher. There's more competition. There is this nervousness about where consumer spending is heading. And I think that may help to keep price rises in check as well. So I'm still hopeful that we will get core inflation, uh, which is sort of about four and a half percent right now, down to say three, three and a half percent by the end of this year. And we'd be in the twos by the early part of next year. So that story, the combination of this weakening activity as backdrop, coupled with these quirks of the US inflation basket being so focused on housing costs, I think can allow inflation to slow pretty rapidly through the next six to 12 months. So what does that mean for the Fed? Uh, well, as you saw from the poll, uh, most people seemingly thinking sort of second half of next year for the first rate cuts. We're a little bit more aggressive. And it is primarily because of that concern about where the consumer story is heading. I do fear that we could be getting some much weaker activity numbers coming through on the, on the US side. And if inflation is slowing, as we suspect, it will continue on the core rate. If we get it down into the twos, I think that can afford the Fed the room to offer some support. Now, we're expecting pretty aggressive rate cuts. The market's looking for perhaps 75 basis points of rate cuts next year. We're looking for, say, 200 basis points plus. And it is that combination, that risk that the commercial real estate story could really amplify uh, the weakness in the US economy and the stresses on the banking system. And remember, too, the Fed is still for now signaling that the long run Fed funds rate fair value is two and a half percent. Also, look at real interest rates. If we have still got the Fed funds at five and a half percent and core inflation at two and a half percent, that's still real interest rates of three percent plus in that sort of weakening environment. Is that really necessary? I would argue not. Hence why we think Fed can perhaps cut a little bit earlier and be somewhat more aggressive. All right, great. Thanks, James. So we're going to go on to Carsten now. But first, we have another poll question for you. And this time it is, when do you expect the first ECB rate cuts? So do you think it'll be this year? That'd be quite aggressive. First half of 2024, second half of 2024, or 2025 beyond? When do you think the ECB will be cutting interest rates? Let's have a look at the results. And again, 54%. So more than half of you think the second half of 2024. So we're going to hear from Carsten, obviously, about that. But first, we're going to talk about inflation, because Carsten, the main reason that the ECB hiked rates last week on Thursday was because of inflation and inflation expectations. Inflation in the eurozone is still above 5%. It's been stickier, hasn't it, than it has in the US. So why is that? And do you agree that with the ECB that inflation won't come down to the 2% target until 2025? 
It has been stickier because we're simply lagging behind the cycle in the in, in the U.S. Plus, over the summer, we had a couple of uh, one-off factors coming out of Germany where there were kind of base effects at play that should disappear now when the September numbers come in. So I'm, I'm still expecting that uh, come September, uh, we will see headline inflation in the Eurozone also coming down quite significantly. For the ECB, I think the big thing was that they also had their own inflation forecasts at the end of 2025. That was the first moment in which inflation would go below 2%. And that is at the end of the forecast horizon, clearly too late for the ECB. We are a bit more optimistic when it comes to inflation, even though uh, with the recent uh, rise in commodity price and oil prices, it gets a bit shakier. But um, we see that uh, when you look at selling price expectation and services, they're coming down. They're already down in, in manufacturing and industry. So we really see more momentum pushing uh, headline inflation in the years at least towards 3% by year end. And this is slightly faster than the ECB currently expects. Now, Carlson, we've had the most aggressive tightening cycle since the start of the monetary union in 1999. We've also had three quarters, effectively, of stagnation. And of course, this is before the full impact of all those rate hikes has really been felt. So are things going to get worse? Are we heading for a recession in the eurozone? At least for another stagnation. The ECB always says, well, but it was only a stagnation uh, so far. Not, not, not too bad. PMI is going down over the summer. Well, no reason to really become concerned. So the ECB has really taken a more benign take on everything regarding growth. What we're expecting is that now over the summer, we probably had another push via the tourism industry um, to growth in, in the Eurozone. But this delayed impact that you're hinting at of, of higher interest rates is showing already in everything. Bank lending service, demand for new loans, both by private households and corporates is really going down. And also actual loan growth is disappointing. And as we all know, the non-existing loan growth today is disappointing investments tomorrow is also disappointing growth tomorrow. So what, what we penciled in now for the Eurozone is a longer period of stagnation, not necessarily another kind of textbook recession with two consecutive quarters of contraction, but at least very anemic growth over the next two years. But what's interesting about this period of stagnation is that the unemployment rate has remained very low, 6.4%. Wage growth is pretty strong. So to a lot of people, it might not feel like a traditional recession. Is that going to change though? It will. And uh, you're fully right. It currently doesn't feel as a recession as we normally know a recession only shows in the labor market and uh, the labor market, thanks to government support schemes, but also thanks to demographic change uh, is extremely solid, extremely stable in almost all European countries. It will change because we're already seeing that there is less fiscal support. We'll see that also next year, fiscal policies in the Eurozone will return towards more restrictive stance. So there will be more austerity coming in. And we will also see that at least this uncertain economic environment will lead all these wage settlements to somehow scale down their wage demands. Because it's very obvious, over the last two years, unions were able to ask higher wages, to demand higher wages, because there was full job security. If job security now fades away, we will see that also wage growth will not come in again at this 5 or 6% that we're currently seeing. Okay, well, let's just return to the poll question that we had at the start. So, our audience thinks uh, that we'll see rate cuts in the second half of 2024. We're going to see rate cuts at some point. What will that cutting cycle look like? 
it's going to be a very small, a very, very minor cutting cycle. As I said, I think currently there's still a, a risk that we will see one more rate hike following that next year. And also highly conditional on what James said about the U.S., because there won't be, or we cannot see the U.S. cutting by 200 basis points and no reaction at all in the Eurozone. So we will see that the ECB also cutting start of the summer, yeah? whether this is the, the second quarter or third quarter, completely un, un, unclear right now. But it will only be cosmetic changes. Because when you also take the real interest rate as a proxy, like James mentioned for the US, the, the neutral real interest rate in the Eurozone is lower than in the US. It's probably rather around zero and not around 1%. So if, if we have inflation then moving towards 25 and 3%, and we have a policy rate at 4%, this leaves us with a maximum of 7,500 basis points, not all in 2024, but spread between the summer of 2024 and probably the summer of 2025. All right, Karsten Przeski, thank you so much. Um, so now we're gonna go to James and another poll question for you, this time pertaining to the Bank of England. And how many more rate hikes in the UK do you expect, including the one this week? So zero, one, two, three, or four or more. Don't make me cry, James. Can we can we really tolerate more than one? One or two more. That's because I, I said I would cry, isn't it? Um, 46% of you. So that's not an overwhelming amount, is it? But James, back in July, markets thought that bank rate would hit 6.5%. Now, at least, we are looking for sort of a peak of 5.5%. So that's come yep. down. Why has that changed so much? Well, I think if you go back to the start of the summer, in fact, the last webinar we had, we were asking the question, do you think the UK has sort of its own inflation problem that's worse than everywhere else? And I think that was a really fashionable view at the start of the summer, so much so that, you know, markets were pricing a peak rate of six and a half percent by later this year or, or next year. But actually, that's come right down, as you say, five and a half percent or just above is now seen as a peak. So I think there's just a recognition, really, that the UK maybe doesn't have this sort of specific problem. You know, maybe it is more similar to Europe in terms of the inflation story. Certainly, if you look at some of the key things, so look at food inflation, that started to come down in line with what's going on in Europe. If you look at energy with a bit of a lag, you know, energy prices have started to fall here as well. So I think really it's a recognition of that. The concerns we've seen in Europe over growth, the weaker purchasing managers indices, exactly the same in the UK. So I think there's just a bit more of a convergence to, to maybe what's going on with other central banks. Now, you're still expecting a hike this week, but yeah. you actually put out an article this morning saying you don't rule out a pause. So how likely is that? Yeah, it's certainly possible. So markets are pricing about an 80% chance of a rate hike this week. So there is still a bit of scope there for a, for a dovish surprise. But I think partly that this is just because the Bank of England itself is very clearly laying the ground for a pause. So if you look at what they've said recently in August, they said, we think we need to keep rates sufficiently high for sufficiently long. They said rates are now restrictive, which, okay, it's like a very obvious thing to say, but the fact that they're saying it tells you something. And then we had this speech from the chief economist of the Bank of England, who said he prefers a table mountain sort of profile for interest rates who's speaking in South Africa, hence the reference, but as opposed to a sort of a steeper mountain where you go higher with rates, but come down more quickly. So definitely the Bank of England is, is laying the ground for the pause. And, and why are they saying this? I think 
there's a recognition that the structure of the UK mortgage market means that the length of time rates stay high is more important than how high they go. Because the vast majority of UK mortgages are fixed, but only typically for two, three, four, five years. So a lot of people are refinancing every quarter. So the effective rate on outstanding mortgages has gone from sort of 2% to 3%. And even without hiking rates any further, that average rate of being paid will go from 3% to 4% to 4.5% probably by the end of next year. So even without doing anything else, those rate hikes are still coming through. So I think that's what the Bank of England is preparing itself. It's not our base case, though, this week, of pause. The bank's looking at three metrics. Services inflation, that's only gone up. That's higher than the Bank of England's August forecast. Wage growth has been coming in pretty strongly as well. Still, there are some concerns about the jobs market, but probably not enough just yet to stop it hiking this week. So 25 basis point hike now, but probably a pause in November. OK, but what about rate cuts? Because we heard that the Fed might start cutting by Easter. Um, the ECB is going to be later than yeah. that. Where does the UK fit into that? Yeah, I think that I think the Bank of England's a bit more like the ECB. We're going to be after the Fed. Um, I mean, it comes back to those things we were just mentioning. So like services inflation, you know, it's still at a cycle high. I think that will start to come down a bit like Carsten was saying for, for the Eurozone. I mean, if you look at some of the surveys here, not only a few firms saying they're raising prices in the service sector, but also when they were raising prices six to 12 months ago, they were overwhelmingly saying it was because of higher energy prices. And now gas prices have come down. That should start to feed through with a bit of a lag. So I think a bit of better news on services inflation, but I think wage growth is where the concerns are, because where the UK is a bit different is that there's still a big chunk of people who left the labour market at the start of the pandemic and haven't returned. Now, they have returned a bit. There's been about a 200,000 increase uh, or decrease in economic inactivity, I should say. Um, but there's still worker shortages. So there's still a bit of a concern there, I think. So coming to those rate cut story, I think probably the second quarter of next year at the earliest for the UK. Okay, well, we've heard what you can expect from central banks over the coming weeks and even years. But what does it all mean for the markets? For that, we're going to go to Chris Turner. But first of all, we have another poll question for you about the euro dollar. And where do you see the euro dollar ending 2023? It's currently at 107. Do you see it at 105 or below, meaning the US dollar is stronger? 106 to 109 is stable. 110 to 115 euro is stronger or one, more than 115. Uh, the euro is much stronger and the dollar is much weaker. And 39% of you think that the euro dollar will be stable. 37% of you think 105 or below. Chris, of course, we're going to get your view on this. But first, I want to talk about the mood in the markets and the sentiment after what was a dovish hike from the ECB and what's expected to be a hawkish hold from the Fed. Is the mood positive because these tightening cycles are starting to come to an end in the US, Europe, UK? Or are people looking at the potential economic stagnation recession to come? Yeah, good question. Uh, last week, we saw actually a Eurozone equities rally on the view that perhaps the ECB had finished its tightening cycle. But I think climbing the wall of worry, I mean, equity markets like the MSCI world equity market has rallied about 14% this year, despite all those fears earlier in the year about sort of a recession, etc. So there has been some resilience and it feels like that will continue for a while. I think particularly for FX markets, we're moving into a period where we're seeing perhaps a prolonged pause for interest rates. And what we're seeing in interest rates markets is very low volatility or expected volatility. And that's feeding across all asset markets. So equity market volatility is low, FX market volatility is low. And 
that feeds into what's called the carry trade. So you would borrow something that is quite cheap to borrowing, like the Japanese yen or the Chinese renminbi, and you'd park it in some high yield currencies. And in the middle of that, the dollar, which pays sort of 5.3% overnight rates, doesn't look too bad at all. So I think we'll probably see, perhaps for the next month or so, perhaps a continuation of those trends. Okay, the dollar has defied expectations this year, hasn't it? There was all this talk of de-dollarization and a new world order. But throughout all of that, the dollars remained strong. How long will that last? Yeah, no, on that subject of de-dollarization, we put out a big article recently looking at the evidence so far. And to be honest, there wasn't much evidence. If you remember, the Chinese renminbi joined the IMS special drawing right basket in 2016 and the much fanfare. Um, increased usage of the renminbi probably has disappointed kind of Chinese authorities. So, so that's a structural issue. But I think today, with the central bank talk, we're looking at more cyclical factors. And I think James Knightley's story, it's a big pitch. Now, we've talked about 200 basis points of Fed easing next year. The market's only priced about 80 basis points at the moment. So if we do get this convergence of US activity towards the poor stagnation in, in Europe and the UK, I think the dollar has to come lower in that environment. Okay, and uh, let's talk about the euro dollar then, since we just had that poll. Where do you see it ending 2023 and what's your outlook for next year? Bearing in mind our audience thinks at least for this year, ending 2023, it will be stable between 106 and 109. Do you agree? We are more positive than the market, that's for sure. Interesting comparing these results to the same poll, the same bands that we asked in June. And back then, you know, only about just above half expected it below 110. Actually, the biggest single bucket was a 110 to 115. And here we are today, I think, I haven't quite seen the, the latest updates, but it's looking nearly 80% now thinking that we're going to be under 110. And I'm very surprised, actually, yeah, I think it's a big story that 40% or near 40% think it's going to be under 105. I think that's a big story. Where we would differ is that US story and having um, the US yields come lower later that's going to happen this year. So, for example, two-year Treasury yields, which we think are a really big driver of the dollar, they're around 5% now. I think we're looking at them at 425 at the end of this year. So we're pitching that this is a story that will be impacting US rates and the dollar by the end of this year. So we think we could be well above 110, maybe even 113 by year end, well above uh, our survey results. Okay, what about sterling, given the, uh, the lower peak rate that James was talking about? What does that mean for the pound? Yeah, I think the market is now priced close to the end of the uh, Bank of England tightening cycle this this week. And you could argue that maybe there's not a lot of ster more sterling weakness to be built in around the terminal rate for Bank of England. But I think as James has kind of argued that the Bank of England easing cycle will probably fall somewhere between the Fed and the ECB that isn't priced at all at the moment. And I think that will start to weigh on sterling as we move through the year. And arguably sterling has performed pretty poorly given what happened with the euro last week. We're talking about euro weakness after the ECB and actually euro sterling is higher. So, so we think euro sterling will probably end the year maybe around 88 or so and perhaps even push up to 89 as momentum builds behind a Bank of England tightening cycle in 24. Okay, quick question on um, Central and Eastern Europe. Uh, because the cutting cycle is already underway there. We had a big uh, rate cut in Poland, bigger than expected recently. Are there any lessons for central bankers elsewhere? 
Well, I think if the objective is a disorderly sell-off in your currency, uh, then certainly uh, the, the central bankers would look at what happened in Poland and probably try to avoid that. I think most would say that the 75 basis point rate cut in Poland was very aggressive. We saw the long end of the bond market sell off, which basically told us that investors wanted an extra uh, compensation for holding bonds because of the risk of inflation. So it was an aggressive cut. And uh, our team thinks that the rest of the CE, or particular Hungary, Romania and the Czech Republic won't be joining in anything like that. So that's a little bit different from the block in Latin America at the moment, where we are seeing big cuts in Chile and Brazil. We don't necessarily think we'll get the same in Mexico. But And so there is a view in Latin America that actually big easing is coming through. But that's not the case in the CE. And I think we will see some independent weakness in the Zloty. That's certainly the view from the team in the region. This podcast has been prepared by ING solely for information purposes, irrespective of a particular user's means, financial situation, or investment objective. The information does not constitute investment recommendation, nor is it investment, legal, or tax advice, or an offer of solicitation to purchase or sell any financial instrument. Read more at think.ing.com slash content dash disclaimer.